Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 23rd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A WCAB panel decision allowed an applicant attorney a fee for settlement proceeds placed in a Medicare set-aside trust. Here's what happened in the case of Robert Vialli versus Lockheed Martin Corporation. Robert Vialli settled his claim that he sustained industrial injury to his back and psyche. The global settlement was over $600,000, less funds for a self-administered Medicare set-aside account, funding for an annuity to provide for the future Medicare set-aside account, and an annuity for the applicant's future non-Medicare covered expenses. Applicant's attorney requested a $90,000 attorney fee, which would have left the applicant with a balance of nearly $160,000 in cash after the above-mentioned deductions. In 2001, there was a stipulated award where it was found that applicant sustained industrial injury to his thoracic spine, causing the need for further medical treatment. Thus, the work comp judge found that the applicant's counsel was not entitled to any fee based on the settlement monies used to fund the Medicare set-aside accounts, reasoning that these monies could only be used for treatment for the applicant's industrial injuries, but that the applicant already had a right to this treatment pursuant to the 2001 stipulated award. In so holding, the work comp judge relied upon the 2010 Appeals Board panel decision in Pratt v. Wells Fargo Bank. The work comp judge approved an attorney fee of only $40,000. The WCAB granted reconsideration and approved the full $90,000 fee. The panel said that the work comp judge gave undue weight to the Pratt v. Wells Fargo Bank decision. In Pratt, an appeals board panel concluded that sums used to fund a Medicare set-aside account should not be utilized in calculating an applicant's attorney fee. But prior panel decisions are not binding on work comp judges or subsequent appeals board panels. Although disregard of the Medicare set-aside funds may be appropriate in setting a reasonable attorney's fee in some cases, Given the results obtained in these cases, dis- in this case, disregard of those funds would not be reasonable in the present case. The WCAB panel concluded that the applicant's attorney is entitled to an attorney fee of $50,000 in addition to the amount previously recovered. In cases of seriously injured workers, claims for home health care are becoming more common. Often these claims surface after litigation for injury, AOE, COE, and permanent disability and take the form of a lien for past services of a spouse dating back for many years and amounting to hundreds of thousands of dollars. But the new panel decision of Gloria Arana versus Hawthorne School District seems to have placed some limit to this trend. Gloria Rana, while employed as a preschool aide, sustained industrial injury back in 2000 to her spine, psyche, internal system, and fibromyalgia, causing 100% permanent disability, need for future medical treatment, and unspecified home care. Since Arana's industrial injury, her husband has assumed most of the duties of running their household and caring for their children. Trial was held in 2011 on the sole issue of applicants' entitlement to home health care from July 2002 
through June 1, 2007. The only exhibit admitted into evidence at that trial was the PTP May 31, 2007 supplemental report. In this report, the PTP said that applicant required help at home since the July 10, 2002 lumbar spine surgery and will continue to require this help in the foreseeable future. The defendant did not deny liability to provide home care for the period after the date of the PTP report. They argued, however, that they are not required to provide this care for any period prior to the date of a medical report establishing its need. Both the work comp judge and the WCAB panel agreed with the defendant on this issue. The WCAB noted that the labor code provides procedures for responding to and disputing recommendations for medical treatment by self-procuring treatment and then offering medical opinion retroactively recommending the treatment, applicant prevented the defendant from availing itself of these procedures, providing alternative care, or requesting reasonable documentation of the services provided for the previous five years. The work comp judge was correct that applicant cannot cure the record in this case by obtaining further medical evidence. The deficiency with the record in this case is the lack of medical evidence prior to the 2007 PTP report documenting the need for home care and requesting such care. That deficiency cannot be corrected by obtaining further retroactive recommendations. And now our fraud report. Dr. Lana Le Chabrier of Santa Barbara was sentenced by United States District Judge Morrison C. Anglin, Jr. to six and a half years in prison for conspiring to commit health care fraud. She was found guilty by a jury in 2011. Judge Anglin found that she abused her position of trust as a physician and was responsible for close to a million dollars in fraudulent billings submitted to Medicare. Following her arrest and trial, Le Chabrier attempted to flee the United States and was apprehended at the Canadian border with $55,000 in cash, an expired United States passport, and a bottle of hair dye. Judge Anglin found the attempted escape to be an obstruction of justice. According to testimony presented at Travalier's trial, a man named Vargas Egazarian owned and controlled three healthcare clinics in Sacramento, Richmond, and Carmichael. Mr. Egazarian and others recruited doctors to submit applications to Medicare for billing numbers. Le Sabrier assumed the role of co owner and practitioner of the Richmond Clinic. But in fact, Le Sabrier never treated a single patient at the clinic. Clinic patients, almost all of whom were elderly and non-English speaking, were recruited and transported to the clinics by individuals who were paid according to the number of patients they brought to the facilities. Rather than being charged a copayment, the patients were paid for their time and use of their Medicare eligibility, generally $100 per visit. False charts were created stating that each patient received comprehensive exams and a broad array of diagnostic tests. Few of these tests were ever performed, none were performed based upon any medical need, and clinic employees filled out other portions of the charts using pre-printed templates. Some clinic employees admitted to performing various tests on themselves and placing the results in patient files. 
Patient files were then transported to Southern California, where Le Chabrier signed them indicating she provided or approved the treatments. In all, the three clinics submitted more than $5 million worth of fraudulent claims to Medicare. In return, Le Chabrier and other physicians received 20% of the billings paid under the respective provider numbers. When the Richmond Clinic co closed, Le Chabrier began the same activity at another fraudulent clinic in Burbank. Her cohort, Vargis Egazarian, is currently serving six and a half years in prison. Glendora police and an anti-drug task force arrested a Glendora doctor accused of exchanging fraudulent medical prescriptions for cash. Dr. Rolando Lodeviso Atiga is accused of writing prescriptions for Xanax, Oxycodone, and Vicodin in exchange for cash payments as large as $400. Atiga has a prior felony conviction for medical fraud and has faced disciplinary action from the California Medical Board. Glendora police began receiving tips about the operation two months ago. Police began investigating Atiga's office, sending undercover officers to obtain fraudulent prescriptions on three occasions. In one instance, Atiga asked an undercover officer for proof that she was suffering from pain. This undercover officer obtained x-rays of her dog, brought these x-rays into the office, and showed them to the doctor. Dr. Atiga looked at these dog x-rays and said that pain medicine for her would be warranted and for $400 immediately issued a prescription for hydrocodone. He was released from jail on his own recognizance. And in medical news, the AMA Guides to the Evaluation of Permit Impairment is the most widely used basis for determining impairment ratings in state workers' compensation systems. The AMA Guides was first published in 1971, and new editions were published throughout the subsequent years, with the sixth edition appearing in 2008. Ten states have adopted the sixth edition, 11 states remain on the fifth edition, eight states continue to use the fourth edition, and two states use the third edition of the guides. Nineteen states use state-specific guidelines instead of the AMA Guides. California has statutorily selected the 5th edition for rating permanent impairment. The 5th edition was published in 2000 and is now about 12 years old. The newer 6th edition introduced new approaches to rating impairment, including one based on a modification of the conceptual framework of the International Classification of Functioning, Disability and Health, or ICF. The ICF method is used as a common basis for a description of human function and impairments. Changes in the 6th edition also include ratings that are largely diagnosis-based and diagnoses that are evidence-based when possible and standardized assessments of activities of daily living. So what would be the effect if California moved to the 6th edition? Well, a new study published by NCCI Holdings attempts to answer this question. The study concluded that there is a noteworthy decrease in the average impairment ratings of approximately 28% when comparing the average rating of the 5th edition to the average rating of the new 6th edition. In between the vertebrae of the human spine are 23 oreo-sized cart cartilage-filled discs 
that hold the vertebrae together and allow for spine movement. These discs can become the source of back pain when they degenerate or herniate, a major health problem that affects 85% of Americans and drains the U.S. economy of $100 billion every year. But a new biomedical device to surgically treat chronic back pain, an artificial spinal disc that duplicates the natural motion of the spine, has been licensed from Brigham Young University to a Utah-based company. It will be developed to market by Crocker Spinal Technologies. The BYU researchers report on the mechanism's ability to facilitate natural spine movement in a study published in the forthcoming issue of the International Journal of Spine Surgery. Currently, the most common surgical treatment for chronic low back pain is spinal fusion surgery. Fusion replaces the degenerative disc with bone in order to fuse the adjacent segments to prevent motion-generated pain. Unfortunately, patient satisfaction with fusion surgery is less than 50%. The solution researched by the BYU team and now being developed by Crocker Spinal Technologies is aimed at restoring the function of a healthy spinal disc. Compliant mechanisms are jointless, elastic structures that use flexibility to create movement. Disc replacement is an emerging alternative to fusion that has the potential to make a significant difference in lives of millions of injured people. Walgreen Company and Pharmacy Benefit Manager Express Scripts announced a new multi-year reimbursement agreement ending a seventh-month dispute that had prevented millions of patients from getting their prescriptions filled at the nation's largest pharmacy chain. A pharmacy benefit manager, or PBM, handles drug benefits for health plans, including workers' compensation administrators, and strike deals with pharmacies over prescription reimbursement rates. Financial terms of the new agreement were not revealed. The Walgreen chain will become available again to express script clients as of September 15th. Walgreen had felt the pressure from the dispute more directly than Express Scripts, which is now the largest pharmacy benefit manager by number of prescriptions filled. The drugstore saw sales decline and customers leave, and it faced the prospects of even more losses after Express Scripts acquired another PBM, Medco Health Solutions. The dispute has also generated interest by employers and health plans into deals that include fewer pharmacy options in return for cost savings, raising another threat to Walgreen as Express Scripts shopped this option to Medco clients. Walgreen's, Walgreen's same store sales had suffered each month since the contract expired, preventing patients of drug plans serviced by Express Scripts from getting their prescriptions reimbursed at Walgreens nearly 8,000 US drugstores. And in financial news, net premiums written by US competitive state compensation funds experienced a 7.1% increase in 2011, reversing a trend that began in 2004, according to a new report from AM Best Company. 
These state funds generally serve their respective states as a guaranteed market and typically provide coverage to companies that experience difficulty obtaining insurance in the general marketplace. Many of the funds also compete in the broader workers' comp markets in their states. The report adds that a number of factors led to increased premiums in 2011, including improved premium audit adjustments, stabilization of employment and payrolls, and a stronger pricing environment. The report also said that the state fund's calendar year combined ratio for 2011 hit its highest level in 10 years, measuring almost 135%. Despite declines in underwriting results and net investment income, the state funds as a group posted a modest operating profit of $2.4 million in 2011. AMBEST expects the state funds to continue growing at a faster pace than the rest of the workers' comp industry. However, it remains to be seen what effects privatization of certain state funds, including Arizona and Maryland, will have on policyholders and the markets in those states. As the workers' compensation line continues to experience poor underwriting results and strong momentum toward rate increases, more companies are turning toward forming captives to combat rising costs. The Marsh Global Insurance Market Quarterly Briefing noted that workers' comp remains one of the few casualty lines still experiencing a significant pull on rates. This line has experienced another difficult year in 2011, with a combined ratio of 115, the worst seen th since 2001. Indemnity and medical costs continue to rise, along with poor investment earnings, all of which leads to a rel relatively bleak picture for workers' comp. Marsh officials say the broker has seen more use of captives to mediate the escalating costs of workers' comp. Companies are using captives in a range of ways to control costs, from covering a company's deductibles to ensuring the company's entire workers' comp program. And in other news, according to the industry's rating and statistical organization, NCCI Holdings, after increasing in 2010 for the first time in 13 years, lost time clean frequency declined once again in 2011 by 1%. This suggests that the 2010 uptick may have been the result of recession-related factors, such as an increase in new hires as the recovery began to hold, take hold and a possible influx of small lost time claims resulted. Prior to the 2010 uptick, injury rates had fallen nearly 57% from 1990 through 2009, an average decrease of more than 4% per year. However, research has long shown that an economic recovery will place upward pressure on claim frequency, particularly if the recovery is strong with large gains in employment. NCCI believes that several factors have contributed to the decline in frequency since the early 1990s, including increased use of robotics, increased use of modular design and construction, techniques increased use of power-assisted processes, advances in ergonomic designs, and proliferation of cordless tools and emphasis on workplace safety and loss control. And with that, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates. 
for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.